Hello, and welcome to episode five of season two of Tell Me This, a podcast about belonging, building communities, and cultivating connections and authentic spaces for listening, learning, and leaning into our experiences. I'm your host, Brianne Roos, along with Carrie Brokowski. And today we are going to talk with one of our good friends and podcast colleagues, Dr. Paula Clark. Yay! Yeah, I know, it's so exciting. (laughs) So Carrie and I, um, as we mentioned, co-host another podcast with two other people. You've heard from one, Kristen Barber, and now um, we have kind of the fourth, and she is uh, Dr. Paula Clark. She is a K-12 mathematics educator and leader who is just brilliant. Um, Mm -hmm. And she is going to share her experiences with belonging, teaching and learning in her um, secondary ed context. So what we're really going to talk about today is this idea of reflection in a full length mirror. And Mm -hmm. I will be honest that this is a little bit of a vulnerable share here, but I'm going to go for it. Um, (laughs) As I was thinking and processing, um, kind of, you know, deciding on the article and, and recapping Paula's interview, I was reminded of the day about 13 years ago when I read my very first course evaluations. Um, Mm -hmm. My heart still races when I see that email in my inbox a few weeks after the semester ends. And I was really very nervous that first time. So I opened the email and quickly scanned the quantitative results, right? So you're looking all the way down at these sort of graphs. And of course, my eye went right to the line where it dipped lower than I would have liked. Mm -hmm. And I stopped dead in my tracks. And the test item was, or the question was, professor communicated interest and enthusiasm. And the students' responses indicate, uh, indicated that I had not communicated interest and enthusiasm. Mm. I know, it was so disheartening. So I scrolled down to read the qualitative comments, and one student wrote, Professor Roos clearly likes what she is teaching, but she should smile more. <laughs> <laughs> And there it was, I know, there it was, the gut punch. So my default mode is serious. Mm. I have been described as serious for as long as I can remember. Um, I've never really liked that description. And there it was again, and this time coming from the students who I cared so much about Mm -hmm. and worked so hard to teach well. And I think it stung because I was deeply interested in both teaching and in the students. But I kept my guard up. You know, during that first semester, I had trouble sharing my enthusiasm, I think for a couple of reasons, because I was still in my 20s. I felt like I had to prove that I was worthy of teaching the students who were not much younger than I was. Mm-hmm. I was afraid of losing face, I think. Um, so I stayed tight. And I just love Parker Palmer. And he says that fear dictates a lot of what happens in the classroom, both for faculty and students. And I think that he was right on um, mm-hmm. in this instance. I think I was definitely afraid of being perceived as, you know, not an expert or something like that. Um, So I remember taking that comment to heart and making a conscious effort to force myself to interject (laughs) levity into my class into the second semester. I actually reminded myself with notes to smile. That was in my teaching notes was to smile. Of course they were. Of course. (laughs) Um, But I have to say that it felt so good. Like I Mm. thought it was going to be really, I mean, it's awkward to say smile here, but (laughs) Once, you know, smiling is sort of contagious, right? So once you do, then the students relax. And then I started to kind of just open up. And it was so great to laugh with the students. And I learned pretty quickly that it did not make me less credible. Mm. I think the opposite happened. I think the students loosened up, we had better conversation. And I think we all learned from each other. Mm. So what a good story. uh, So the shift, right? I think the shift happened because the students comments 
were a part of my look in this idea of a full length mirror mm. and then in, in engaging in what was happening in our classroom. I don't think I could have articulated the fear element in the moment. I don't think I was ready to say like, <laughs> yes, I was afraid of X, Y, Z with my students. Yeah. But I also knew that the students were right, that I wasn't communicating the enthusiasm that I really did feel for them and mm. for teaching. So they told me what I didn't want to hear uh, for sure. Yeah. But I was trained in this Jesuit tradition of action and reflection. And so I took the comment and sat with it. And as mm -hmm. we would say, felt that discomfort, kind mm -hmm. of found the truth in the sting of mm -hmm. that. Yeah. Um, and then took action to make it better because they're not saying you're the worst person ever. You're serious. This will never be fun. This is awful. It really was just a comment and a suggestion Yep. Um, that made all the difference. So, um, Notably, students have never made the same comments since. <laughs> and in fact, the qualitative comments now say like, thank you for your interest and enthusiasm for us and for the content. So that's awesome. Yeah. I, I mean, I feel like, oh, now I can, now I can share that. And really it's just because of the mirror idea. Right. So yeah. I think the students were, you know, looking clearly and just that's, kind of having the courage to listen. That's really nice too. Cause it, it's, it, we always, I think we always joke about telling students that like, you know, try to change your mind on feedback, right? Like we give you feedback. And I think that's such a nice example of like, you know, in a really sort of warped way, thank goodness that student wrote that. Absolutely. Because imagine what the story you would have been telling yourself if the student hadn't written that, right? Because it was just, yep. it wasn't really that you weren't enthusiastic. It was that you weren't expressing it in a way that they could see it, right? Or it could be communicated. So it's funny how we, it comes back on us, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Good story. Yeah. yeah. So um, Paula's going to give us a little more context about this full length mirror idea. Uh, hope you enjoy our chat with her. Yeah. All right, welcome back to Tell Me This. Today, Carrie and I are looking forward to our discussion with our friend and colleague, Paula Clark, who we just learned today won a Student Excellence Award at Johns Hopkins University <laughs> <laughs> after her doctoral studies there. So we definitely are in the company of an expert and a superstar. She's shaking her head and turning red. Um, <laughs> so we actually are accustomed to speaking with Paula in this way because we work with her on another podcast, podcast called uh, for Learning Educators with Kristen Barber, who's another guest that we've had on this season as well. So Paula is a career K-12 educator, and she currently teaches high school mathematics in a suburban public school district in Northeastern Ohio. As an educator, Paula is passionate about creating authentic, conceptual-based learning experience for her students. And as a learner, she believes strongly in the relationship between continuous educator development and student learning. So just from that intro alone, you can see why we wanted to talk with her and learn a little bit more about what she does and why and how. So um, as is customary, we wanted to just ask Paula, how are you? How are you holding up during the pandemic? Well, I think like anyone else, we're making it through and holding our breath and taking it one day at a time. Um, I'm certainly grateful that my family and friends are staying healthy so far. Um, no bad news in that respect. Um, but I think going into the school year, I'm definitely concerned. I'm cautious. And I think, you know, just working with my staff this week, there are definitely 
lots of moments of frustration and fear, um, coupled with some moments of acceptance, like this is how it's going to be. And, you know, we just need to put our teacher hat on and our learner hat on and, and do the best that we can. Are your students back, Paula? No, our students come back Monday. So the teachers had two weeks of, um, you know, training and preparing. So that's where we are right now. It's hard to keep track in the different states because people are sort of doing completely different schedules even than what they used to. So that's why I wanted to ask. Yeah, absolutely. um, Yeah, and I think um, I'm going to plug there uh, Dr. Clark, not to forget that she also just recently graduated from the EDD program, a great source of some of our lovely guests. So um, I'm looking forward to this conversation, Paula. So thanks for joining us today. Sure. Um, for folks who have listened to the podcast and for those who haven't, just a reminder that this podcast really started out of an interest in thinking about, talking about, and really learning about this idea of belonging. Um, we, I think Brian and I are big believers and hopefully practitioners in that realm. We spend a lot of time thinking about and practicing how to cultivate belonging. And so part of season two of Tell Me This was really about bringing more educators defined very broadly, teachers, leaders, families into the fold um, and, and sharing our stories, successes and sort of challenges so that we could you know, cultivate that sense of belonging among ourselves. So, so Paula, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you, like I ask all of our guests, when you think about the word belonging, like what, what sort of rings true for you? What does it look like? What does it feel like for you? Um, well, I think my sense of belonging or the, the way I define belonging has really changed, maybe in light of the pandemic, um, maybe not. Um, but when I really think of the root of it as a teacher um, in my professional context, I think of the word dynamic. Um, so when you think of belonging, like at first I think, oh, it's you know possessive. We have belongings. Those things belong to us. But it's really not the idea of possessing something. Um, for students, um, I can operationalize the word easily. You know, I want them to feel like a member of our classroom. I want them to feel welcome. I want them to feel that they have a voice in our classroom, both in the decisions that they make and, and uh, the way that the classroom is led. I don't know that we always have that same definition for teachers. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's more to me of uh, you belong to this school, you're a member, sort of like if I belong to a health club or I belong to an organization and I show up every day and I get the t-shirts, but there's not always that sense of a dynamic relationship. Um, It's often more of a one-way street. I belong here. This is where I work and this is what I do. Um, But I really think in terms of the leadership and the culture of the building, it needs to be more of a dynamic nature you know, the building, the leadership, our colleagues and, and each other, we need to reach out to each other. Mm-hmm. We need to make people feel that same level of comfort, um, the same level of, you know, you have a voice in this organization the way we would want to for our students. Mm-hmm. So when you say dynamic, you mean sort of, I don't want to put words in your mouth, that's why I'm asking. So more of a, would reciprocity be a word that would make sense there? Sort of a back and forth, like among teachers and then among leaders as well? Is that what sure. you're saying? Absolutely. And, and I even think um, among colleagues, you know, I have, I have a unique uh, situation this year where we have, we're welcoming three new teachers, not new to the career, but new to our building into the mathematics department. And I feel like as a culture, as a school, we reach out to them. Right. And, and so we make sure that they know where things are and they know they're welcome and they know that, you know, the, how the, the building runs per se. But we don't always 
carry that on with the teachers that have been there for a while. So we kind of lose them in, in, in that respect in terms of, you know, we still belong. I've been there for 20 years and, and I still belong, but I don't think the leadership, I don't think the organization sees us as new anymore. So they don't maybe go through some of those same steps that they would to make hmm. someone new feel like they belong. Yeah. It's almost I like love you've, that. you've all, I know I hadn't thought about this idea of dynamic, but I, I hear you saying that Paul, it's almost like, well, you've already assimilated to this, this sort of place. And so we don't need to pay you as much mind as the maybe newer people. So yes. Yes. Um, gosh, there's yeah, a carry. We'll have to make ourselves a note, Brianne, because I feel like we should have Paula back and like just talk about that for half an hour because I, I have like a well, hundred questions that just cropped up. <laughs> me too. I mean, I love like you and I, Carrie, talk and work a lot with onboarding and yeah. mm-hmm. Paula's recognizing the importance of that initial onboarding yeah. for sure and also kind of an ongoing process. So yeah, I love that follow through, that idea of follow through, even for people who would be considered veterans and experts probably. You've been there for 20 years. Yep. Um, and yet you still need kind of explicit attention to that idea of belonging. I love right. that. And the, I mean, and I think to Paula's point that the idea that a context doesn't change is wrong, right? So like right. the extent to which a context changes, including leaders, mm-hmm. staff, students, maybe you always need to be rekindling this, this notion of belonging, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I love that sort of- It's almost like hitting refresh on your computer, right? Totally. Like, right. Yeah. Totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, so. and, and really like not leaving people alone. I think that people- and you know, just just talking about learning identity as well in terms of a teacher's learning identity. You know, people are left alone once they, you know, once the administration has deemed that they're experts or deemed that they are, you know, vested in the in the school. They they are left alone. They're in your classroom and there you are, and they don't have that same, you know, check in and just see how you're doing. And and it's it's that two way street. You know, I care for you, and then you show that you care for me, and and that's the dynamic piece. Yeah, good segue, huh, Brianne? Yeah, thanks for that two-way street line. That's where I was going. I actually wrote that note. Um, Paula, talk with us a little bit about your idea of this learner and teacher identity. And for those of you who don't know, this is something that we explore in great depth on our other podcast, The Four Learning Educators. So this is sort of comfortable territory, but um, assuming that people have not listened to that, maybe just share with us what you think about, about that idea of the two-way street and teaching and learning. Sure. So I I still, even though we have been working on it together in our podcast for a while now, I still really see myself as a novice learner. Um, I really feel that I'm taking strides and steps, and maybe it's the pandemic that that caused it to become conscious of my learning. Um, So I'm evolving, definitely, and, and not that I'll ever be the expert in it. But, you know, I think it's a matter of taking, and we've talked about this in our podcast, that deliberate action and those conscious effort to to recognize the learning that occurs in all situations. So it's not just the learning of the content that goes on in my classroom, um, but it's the learning that I can, you know, experience from my peers and not just within the mathematics department. It's it's all over. I I listened to an article, not a podcast, Carrie, but an, um, I was reading an article. Um, <laughs> um, reading? Recently, and, and it was from um, someone in the business world, and they talked about Uh, critical reflection. Mm -hmm. And I loved their description of it because they said critical reflection, and we've talked a lot about how important Mm -hmm. that is to us as learners, is looking in a full length mirror, Mm -hmm. not just Mm -hmm. in a mirror. And (laughs) it's like looking at every single piece of what we do. And so I feel like since our you know, since our podcast began on the learner identity and since we've delved into that and since the pandemic, I'm really taking this, 
strong look at what I say and what I do every minute and how I'm going to appear to my students and how am I going to appear to my colleagues and how am I going to appear to my administration and, and really not just the appearance that I want to give across as far as me, you know, being a teacher vested in my students, but how are they receiving me? Is it the way that I'm intending? Is, you know, is, is my lesson coming across the way and, and, you know, that I intended and are the students receiving it in that way? Do they receive the signal that they belong to me? Do they receive that welcoming message? You know, so it's that full length critical mm -hmm. reflection piece. And I'm trying to use that every day as my learner piece. What can I learn from this situation? Um, and in that moment, in that moment. Yeah, that's really nice, Paula. I love that full length mirror metaphor. It made me think of there's a, I teach a leadership course in the program and there's this leadership called adaptive leadership and they talk about the balcony view and the dance floor view right and so it's this notion of sort of taking different perspectives and not being like at the ten thousand foot view always but getting down there sort of with the implementer so to speak to understand so it's it's similar it's not reflection per se but it's the same idea of really walking around and, and looking at the different views so I, I love that full I'm going to keep I just wrote that down full length mirror I like that one mm -hmm. so <laughs> I did too and I just have to connect to our our pre-podcast chat that we had before we hit record which was talking about the outfits that we wear so if you were to look in a full length mirror you would see a professional from the waist up and shorts and no shoes <laughs> from the waist down so um kind of a funny yeah, you know, just image now of, of the full length mirror. <laughs> it's really different. Yeah, it's really different yeah. now, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. Um, so Paula, I love how you describe this idea of full and deep reflection during the pandemic. Can you think back to before the pandemic? <laughs> Do you remember that time? Um, and just share with us a little bit about kind of your role and your context. Like, what were you doing professionally? What did that look like? Yeah, it's, it's hard to look back. I mean, it seems like it wasn't that long ago, but, but, you know, I think at the time, you know, based on the calendar, we were getting ready for spring break. So <laughs> as a professional, you know, I was in my classroom trying to wrap up things before spring break, trying to get the students to where they needed to be in terms of content. And really that was my focus. So I would say that pre pandemic things were just, sailing along as they usually do. And, 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 you know, I was really kind of not in the autopilot where I wasn't conscious or, mm. or, you know, worried about what was going on, but, you know, I've been a teacher for 20 some years and, and I knew the routine and I knew where we were going and I knew it was going to happen the next day. And then all of a sudden it hit and I didn't know what was going to happen <laughs> the next day. And yeah, that, that was a huge, I mean, life-changing, you know, yeah. certainly career-changing event. For sure. So I want to I want to dig into that sort of that quick. I mean, I hate we've used this word so much, but that pivot, right? That pivot and hitting whatever you want to call it, crisis mode triage. So moving from feeling like you you knew what to you knew what was coming. And Brianna, I were just talking about this earlier, like prepping for courses. Like you can anticipate bumps in the roads that students will have, and then this thing called the pandemic hits, and all of a sudden. You have no prior data, right, to figure this out. Um, and so the question really that we're, we really want to dig into, Paula, is we would love for you to share um, maybe a challenge that you faced, you know, one challenge that you faced in the pandemic. And in particular, we're really interested in not just the challenge, but what are you doing to sort of adapt and learn to like really sort of engage that learner identity to um, address whatever that challenge is? So we'd love to hear something about that. Sure. Um, I think the challenge is just happening. I, I don't 
feel that we hit our biggest challenge in the spring. Huh. Now, certainly it was a challenge, um, you know, to immediately turn over to remote learning and that in and of itself. But I think that there were those pieces that, you know, you were forgiven for things. And yeah. there, were, there were times when the administration just said, okay, just, you know, get through and here's what we need to do. It's the end of the year. You know, <laughs> we only had this many weeks left. And, and not that we let things slide, but because we couldn't meet as a faculty, because we couldn't help each other out, you know, I feel like people just got through the end of the school year. It yeah. was temporary, right? Mm -hmm. So in that term, you know, we were just trying to get by for the eight more weeks that we had. I think the challenge is right now. I mm -hmm. think that's really where we're meeting our challenge because it's permanence, right? So now the decisions we are making are permanently impacting our students and they did in the spring but this going forward is you know who knows how long this is going to last and who knows how long we're going to need to be able to be this flexible and adaptable and you know monday my students are coming live and tuesday we could be remote you know and yeah. and so it's that that permanent change and i and i feel that the way that i have seen my department work in the past week if that's any indication of how we're going to meet that challenge I'm really hopeful. Mm -hmm. um, I have not seen such collaborative work that I have in the past week and a half. Um, teachers are just spontaneously coming together to meet, to talk about you know, the new technology we need to use, how we're organizing our classes, how we're gonna reach students that are at home, you know, what materials can we prepare to send home in advance to engage them and not just have them watching the screen. Um, we're in a situation where our remote learners will be um, live streamed into our class. Mm -hmm. So really we have that challenge of trying to engage the in-person learner as well as the virtual learner at the same time. So the ideas that are flying around and the shared expertise and the, you know, we're, we're building this knowledge. It's the knowledge construction of the new era and, and we don't know how long it's gonna last, but I'm super proud of the people that I'm working with in, in just how they've come together. What do you think, Paula? I mean, I love to hear, I love to hear that, right? This is part of the reason we wanna do this season is to, we hear so much cruddy stuff in the news that it's good to hear <laughs> hopeful things, right? And so I love imagining all these teachers coming together. And it's really not that surprising. I mean, I think teachers by nature really want to do the right thing and come together when they need to. I wonder even if, you know, there was a lot of grace given in the spring. I get that. Like, is there anything you can point to either when the pandemic hit or prior to the pandemic that you felt like because we were already doing X, this challenge we're facing, this is one of the reasons why we're able, like, is there something that you can transfer from a previous experience or work that you've done with your teachers that you think is, is, is making you come together in this way? Or is it really just our backs are against the wall and we don't have any other choice? Like, I just wonder like what's transferable. Well, I feel that at least from my perspective, the spring really was when you asked me what was I doing before the pandemic, I was coasting along as usual. And mm -hmm. really my focus was getting through the curriculum. And I think that's changed. Mm -hmm. Our focus now is on each other as individuals. Mm -hmm. Our focus is on our students. I know we've talked before and Carrie, you explained it in one of our podcasts as saying, you know, you're interested in seeing what comes out of this, right? What were we willing to let go and what are we keeping? And I think we're keeping that interest in in the students as people, their socio-emotional needs, their academic needs. You know, we have a, a situation as well as 
many, you know, public schools across the country where there's a huge divide um, in the digital world, the technology world, and, and even the, the economic divide in terms of the students that have things and have support and have families at home and the students that are struggling with those support systems. And how can we be those support systems to the school. I haven't heard I haven't heard a lot of discussion this week on content and that's kind of a good thing because it's all about you know reaching the students helping each other um, making sure everyone feels connected so in just going back to that sense of belonging I feel that that's where our focus is now and that's a good thing that's that's probably where it needs to be predominantly anyhow so so I have to ask and um, I, this is a little off script I'm sorry Paula I told you I might have a few for you <laughs> I know you can handle it though, because you're brilliant. So I want to go back because you said earlier, like when I asked you about belonging, I mean, I loved your answer, this notion of dynamic and that there's, there's a, a there's a um, recogni recognition that often with teachers, it's different than with students, right? It's sort of this one way. And what I'm hearing you say, and what I want to check in with you about is, do you think this pandemic is changing the way that we engage with our teachers like is it is it becoming more dynamic that's what it sounds like you're describing mm -hmm. to me in mm -hmm. some ways what do you what do you think about that i definitely think it is at least for my department i will okay. say that it's it was systemic it was everyone coming together and saying i need help with this and someone saying i know how to do that let me yeah. hold a session and we all showed up so it wasn't something that was led by administration yeah. um, it's something that just occurred you know, organically and the teachers really just, I can do this for you and I can do that for you. And, and they really just began the sharing of ideas. And, and really, I, I think that's where we need to head with the sense of belonging. You know, mm -hmm. there's a teacher there who has taught 30 some years and for the first two days was reluctant to show up to these meetings because yeah. they were not mandatory, you know, and, and little by little he's creeping in and, and people are, you know, they're just phenomenal at sharing the advice. And, and I think that teachers are seeing they need that from each other, even if it's not given or yeah. cultivated by administration. That's awesome. Thanks. I love that. And I think sometimes it shouldn't be, right? I mean, not everything has to come from the top down. So that's nice. I do want to say that, Paula, I think you're selling yourself short by saying that you were just on autopilot and cruising because we know <laughs> from your podcast and all of our discussion and reflection about reflection that you are not an autopilot kind of teacher. I understand what you meant, that you were in the groove and in the routine and spring break was coming and all that. But Right. I don't want any listener out here thinking that she's just phoning it in because <laughs> she does not, she does not do that. No way. Um, we would love to know, maybe if you could just share one or two takeaways from this kind of crisis mode that we're in. And I love how, well, I don't love it, but I, I agree with you that you said, I think we're in it now. You know, mm -hmm. the spring was such a rapid change, but um, the challenge is now. So what can we take away from what we're, what we're living through? So I, I think the takeaway is certainly to have that that shift, that mental shift from, yes, content is extremely important, but the people are more important, whether that's the students or each other as colleagues. Um, you know, one of the things that surprised me over the pandemic was the number of people that reached out that I don't normally communicate with on a mm -hmm. daily basis and just said, how are you doing? You know, and that kind of spurred me to do that to others that I normally wouldn't check in on a daily basis, but I would see at school and certainly talk to. Um, so that whole checking in process, developing that, you know, connecting 
between the teachers and certainly, of course, between the students, but, but in terms of developing that teacher learner identity is really just, let's collaborate on this. We're in this together and we have this shared sense of responsibility now that's beginning to kind of morph. We have this shared knowledge that, you know, one of the teachers right away just, can I, you know, create a Google Drive file. And of course, I don't know how to do those things, but they jumped in and, you know, everyone's contributing. So it's really that piece of, of sharing, sharing our experiences, sharing, you know, that sense of belonging and, and really checking in with one another. And I, I feel that that's where we need to be in the future. So I love that. I love that so much. And I, I actually had a discussion with colleagues the other day feeling, feeling sort of the opposite because we are in this crunch to get our courses set um, on the learning management system. And so it felt just so content heavy. And I, I was listening to Parker Palmer talking about teaching. I just love his messaging about, you know, authentically connecting with your students. And that's really the essence of teaching. And I said, we just can't lose that. As we're figuring out how to format all these things and, and put our modules together, what you're saying is so important. Connecting with the students, that's going to be just so critical and being really intentional and thoughtful about that. Mm -hmm. And also, of course, the content, uh, but, but kind of leading with the person. So thank you. I think that's a great takeaway. Yeah, I also, I also think I had, a, I mean, I've, I've had lots of thoughts. So we do have to have you back, Paula, um, whether you want to or not. I'm going <laughs> to twist your, virtually twist your arm to come back. Um, I mean, the first thing I was thinking about is it, it, just in, in doing a few of these interviews and talking to other people, there are definitely degrees of this across the country, right? Like it sounds like your department and your school are really doing this amazing job of collaborating and checking in and reaching out to each other. And um, I think it's, it's, I think people, I think it's, it's not that people aren't trying to get there. I think that it's, it's sort of a process, right? Like being willing to sort of blow up those structures and push them out of the way, because I see in some districts that people are still struggling to get away from the old way of thinking, like what about standardized testing and what about replicating the school day? And so I can see that some people are struggling to sort of let go of those old sort of, mm -hmm. I, I don't like the word paradigm, but it seems appropriate here, right? To think about what could we, so, so it's interesting to think about, and I hope we'll continue to explore this, this in this season, sort of what are sort of the, the attributes of the group that are able to quickly let go of those pieces and, and really envision, imagine education in a new space. Cause I think mm -hmm. it sounds like your group is really embracing that for the most part. Mm -hmm. um, but I've seen other groups that are just struggling. Um, they're moving in the right direction, but it's just a slower, a slower move. So sure. um, yeah, I think it's, it's interesting. I think the other thing I've been thinking about, and I, I wonder if, if you and Brianne are thinking about this is, I hope our memories aren't too short. Um, and I hope that when this pandemic subsides and, it will subside, right, ladies? It's got to. <laughs> um, I wonder if we will return to the old or if we will adopt some of these wonderful new things that, you know, Paula, you've, you've brought to mm -hmm. the forefront. Um, I don't know if you've been thinking about that at all. Yeah, definitely. I, I feel like we had that discussion the other day just with you know, the fact that, so we're going to be live streaming and recording ourselves, and then we can post it at night for the students that were absent. 
And somebody just said, we should always do that. Like, why aren't we always doing that? You know, because when someone's absent, they get their teacher explaining it to them in real time. And, you know, so I, I feel like there are so many lessons we can learn and talk about an authentic learning experience, you know, to really highlight us as, as learners. Um, we were thrown into this and we had to learn. There was no yeah. choice. It was sink or swim. So I feel it's, it's so authentic that there are pieces that we'll definitely like about it that we'll want to keep. Yeah, and hopefully, yeah, I think that. Go ahead, Brianna. Oh, go ahead, Paul. No, 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 I just to answer your question, I think that if we had returned to normal right now, so if the pandemic were limited to just that quick pivot, mm. and now we were back, I think that it would be a blip that we were like, oh gosh, remember spring of twenty? <laughs> um, <laughs> unfortunately, it's not that quick. I don't yeah. think that we can possibly get through this without some lessons learned, without some enduring change. And I hope, hope, hope. Um, that those are the right changes and that yeah. we can, you know, adopt some new best practices and kind of learn dynamically and assess what's going on and, and make some changes in the moment and that sort of thing. Yeah, no, no, I, I totally, totally agree. Yeah, I, I definitely hope that we're, I mean, I think you're right. I think that's an interesting, I hadn't thought of it that way, Bram, but I think that's a, that's a really uh, good point and well taken mm -hmm. that if it had just been the spring, I don't know that we would have been having the same conversation. So um, yeah, that's, that's awesome. So you kind of touched on it a little bit, Paula, but just to sort of circle back um, as we always do and tell me this and, and thinking about belonging, you know, as you continue to move through this pandemic, can you think about sort of what your definition of belonging was and have you added to it, adjusted it, taken away from it in any sort of way, given this new context that you're mm -hmm. facing? I, th I think I definitely added the dynamic piece. That's certainly new. Mm. Um, because I feel that before the sense of belonging would have been just that I'm welcomed initially. And I know this is a place where, you know, I work and people are concerned about me, whether or not we talk on a daily basis, but that dynamic piece really, I think because of the pandemic showed me that, you know, we need to keep at it. It's not something that just, yes, oh, welcome, here you are. And, and that's the end of it. Um, it's, it has to be ongoing and it has to be us checking in on each other, you know, during the pandemic and after, you know, how are you doing, you know, just gauging people's level of comfort with ideas and it's that whole community of practice and, and making people feel like they are an integral part of it, not just a part of it, not just show up and sit in your seat, but really an integral part of it. Great. So Paula, I want to thank you for joining us today. It was absolute pl pleasure, Brian. It's always good to chat with you. And I think that we have, you have left the listeners with lots to think about this idea of, I love this idea of dynamic belonging. It's really like a new, a new spin on it for me. So I need to sit with it. For, speaking of critical reflection, I need to sit with it a little while and, and digest it. I also very much appreciated you bringing to light this idea of the importance of collaboration and keeping people at the center of this. It made me, and Brianna already talked about Parker Palmer, but he also talks about this idea of the teacher in the teaching and the learner in the learning. Mm -hmm. And so I love that we've sort of continued that idea. And I really hope that, you know, with your discussion and conversation and also the other conversations that Brianna and I are having, that we will be able to sort of chronicle, if you will, some of the successes that are happening and we'll want to hear from you how your live streaming goes and how that works out sure. because maybe at the end of all this 
Brianna and I will be able to put together some really cool artifacts of what's working mm -hmm. and what we should we should hold on to and, and use even in a post-pandemic sort of education. So um, thanks, Paula. Thank you so much for oh, being here. Yeah, and it was my pleasure. Yeah, and Brianna, thanks for conversation as well. So this is the uh, season two of Tell Me This, and we've just had a lovely interview with Dr. Paula Clark, and we'll be right back in a few minutes. Thanks, Paula. Hello and welcome back. So we are uh, again season five episode. Nope, season two episode. <laughs> five. Woohoo! Yeah, like we are. <laughs> wow, that's awesome. <laughs> Go us. <That> quick. <laughs> uh, sorry about that. I hope you enjoyed the conversation with Paula. I gosh, it is always oh, so great to talk with her. Totally. And. Uh, you know, I am not sure how I feel why I am. I, I am sure that I do not want to take high school math again, but I would love, <laughs> love to sit in on one of her classes oh, because yeah. I just bet she brings it all. I, she would be so good. Totally. Um, Paula is always good for a, a nice literature drop. So this was, this was nice for me because she gave us the article for me to look at. So I did. I was curious about the one that she, you know, mentioned about discussing and looking at ourselves in the full length mirror. So the article uh, is recent. It's 2020. It's by an author named Pat Perry called How Does Your Company Appear? And as Paula mentioned, it's from the business world. So Perry opens the article with a story from back in college when a fitness class instructor told students that staying in shape would require commitment and ongoing self-assessment, which is best done by looking in a full-length mirror, which is scary, right? Yeah, <laughs> a little. Yeah. <laughs> In other words, we have to see the whole picture to really assess how we're doing. And Perry connects the full-length mirror idea to a comprehensive look at organizations. Paula nicely pivoted um, and related it to education. Mm -hmm. And that deep reflection requires that we look at the whole picture, not just the dress clothes on the outside or just <laughs> the half of us that can be seen in a bathroom mirror, as the article suggests, or as on a Zoom screen as we yeah. you know, kind of interact <laughs> these days. Um, but when we think about teaching, we can think about the presence and the quality of our connection with students and our faculty and administrator colleagues, and maybe parents if we're in a K-12 setting. Mm -hmm. We can think about contexts and face-to-face -face and online and hybrid and high flex and, and how to leverage the attributes of each context to facilitate the connections with our students. And of course, we also have to think about content, right? So how can we best teach the content in each particular context? One of the parts of Paula's interview that stuck with me was her discussion of the shift from the content to the people. And our students, of course, are people before they're learners of math mm. or anatomy or, or whatever is being taught. And COVID has made that order of priorities more clear than it has ever been before. Mm. Uh, Paula shared that before COVID, she was thinking about the calendar, anticipating mm. spring break, making sure right. they wrapped up content, you know, that sort of thing. Since COVID, she's been thinking of students and their homes and their access to devices and the internet and how to reach them to make sure they're okay. And then mm -hmm. comes the math content. And that sort of raw focus on the person first is a recurring theme in our interviews this season across K-12. So Catherine Atkinson in middle school and Lisa Cerise in her work as a wellness educator and Kristen Barber in the nonprofit space, right? And I know that you and I, Carrie, have experienced this in higher ed. Oh yeah, for um, sure. You know, for sure. Yeah. 
So I guess, you know, to, to wrap up my takeaway for this week is that maybe now is the time to take a good hard look in that full length mirror to mm -hmm. learn about how we're doing, how we are communicating interest and enthusiasm and how we are caring for the whole student. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. It made me think too. I loved how you, thank you for making those connections across the interviews because I was also thinking sort of not to give too much away to the listeners, but, you know, we have um, Astrid Schmidt-King coming on in, a, I think, in a few weeks. And something that resonated with me was she talked about how substance is secondary, right? Yeah. And so we both sort of were like, yes, that's what we've been saying all this time. Yeah. That, <laughs> exactly. Like, connections yeah. matter. Relationships matter, right? And, you know, for better or for worse, the pandemic has really spotlighted that. And I love this. I love that. I mean, I love metaphors anyway. Let's be honest. I love the mirror like that. Mm -hmm. It just makes sense, right? To be like thinking about the student, the whole student, like you said. So, yeah. Yeah. Was, I mean, and I didn't mention Brianna and Aviva, but as you were talking, I'm thinking, oh my gosh, and it was so, so present in their interview as well. So I think it's really been across the board. Oh, yeah. It's had that sort of sentiment. Yeah. Definitely. We're definitely seeing some really great, um, some themes and, and even, sort of links connections across definitions of belonging folks have come at it like a little bit differently every time but mm -hmm. it feels similar and so i think hopefully in a few weeks after we get some of these interviews wrapped um i think brianne and i are going to do sort of a recap right a recap episode where we sort of try yeah. to pull some of those themes so we can talk more about sort of how our definition of belonging has evolved, which will be really cool. Cause I'm still, I'm still thinking, Brianne, I'm still thinking about digital belonging. I haven't dropped that yet. So. <laughs> I know we have to interrogate that. We have to dig deeper into that. Yeah. I have to, I have to think about that a little bit more. I was, I was sitting here thinking, I was like, what would Brene Brown say about digital belonging? Like, what would oh, she say? So that something be, amazingly brilliant. <laughs> I know she would. She, and it would be right at her, like at the tip of her tongue, whereas it'll yeah. take me days yeah. to figure it out so, or weeks or years. So yeah. Right. Um, yeah. So thank, thanks for that great uh, article. That was awesome. Yeah, no, I think we have some good things to think about this week. So thanks to everybody for listening to tell me this. Again, this is season two, episode <laughs> five. I'm Brianne Roos here with Carrie Burkowski. Burk oh my gosh, Carrie. <laughs> Carrie Burkowski, and we will see you next time. Thanks for listening. And hopefully by then we'll know what season it is and how to pronounce our names. Awesome. <laughs> Thanks, Brianne. <laughs>